All right, folks, what I'd like you to do is we're going to pause from our study in John, and, and I want to talk about Christmas today. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Very familiar passage. It is Luke's gospel version of the birth of Jesus. Luke and Matthew give us the accounts, their accounts concerning the birth of Christ. Luke gives us a lot of information. We're just going to focus on the first five verses today. And I'm hoping that you and I will grasp some things about Christmas. Well, actually, I'm hoping we'll grasp some things about God as we consider Christmas. Now, why do I hope that? Well, as I was preparing for this, you know, I wrestled with, what, okay, what should I bring? What should I share? And I think about where we're at, and I know in my life, I think we're all familiar with the Christmas story, okay? We've, we've heard it so many times. We've watched so many specials. It's on the radio. It's on the Internet. You see pictures everywhere, kind of like the picture up on the, up on the screen where you have uh, Joseph leading Mary on a donkey, and so we, we know the story, and we know aspects of the story. We know the reality of the Christ child coming and being born in a manger and shepherds coming and, and of course, the wise men, which came later. But we kind of lump it all together. And so we kind of have that idea. And, but then Christmas for us, to be honest with you, is not just the celebration of the birth of Jesus. It's really the celebration so, like, even in my household, okay, so um, we uh, are going to have all of our kids home uh, for Christmas. And that, that's a big thing for us now. I, we used to have them home all the time. Now, it's, we're having them home. So, Madison is coming down. Foster and his wife, Lauren, are coming up from Dallas. Of course, we've got our two boys at home. And uh, so, that's a big thing. You know, it's a, a big thing for us to have everybody at home because, um, you know, life changes when they get older and you become more of an empty nest. So, um, and, and the reality of that hits you. And so, yes, we're celebrating Jesus, but we're also celebrating. Did you understand family? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. Did you know what I'm saying? Because we realize, like for us in the Canon household, it's not going to be the same anymore. You know, because I've got my, my number three child, Sawyer, has joined the Navy. Okay, so and he's going to be away. You know, so that's not going to be the same anymore. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? And, you know, I've got my daughter living in another country, and I've got Foster and Lauren. They're going to be graduating from Dallas Theological in, in May, and who knows where they're going. It isn't going to be back here. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And it's not going to be the same anymore. And so we get focused on Christmas. So in the canon household, guess what we're focused on? Yes, we're focused on Jesus being bored, but on family coming, okay? Now, that's normal. That's normal that you focus on different things. Yes, we're celebrating. It's the time to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And it's normal for preachers to try to redirect you back to why we celebrate, Okay? Well, as I was thinking about the message, I thought there is so much about the story of Jesus 
that conveys so many truths that I thought I would just hit on one of them that I think is relevant to you and I, okay? And in order for me to help you to understand what we're going to focus on in the first five verses of Luke, because if you look at the first five verses of Luke, really? Yeah, well, we're going to look at it here in a second, and then I'm going to explain to you why we're looking at it. The first thing I need to kind of point out to you is Christmas addresses our struggles, because we struggle. Whether you realize it or not, you, you struggle daily. Do you, you, you understand? I, I was thinking this morning as I was getting ready and, and uh, in the bathroom, I do a lot of thinking in the bathroom as I'm brushing my teeth and everything. And I was thinking about when you go home to be with Jesus. Great thing to think about right in the morning, right? When you go home to be with Jesus, and, and I thought... We'll be battle-scarred, because life was hard. And so, as I'm thinking about that, I'm, I'm realizing, though, you got us through it, Lord, because we struggle, but you got us through it. So let me give you a couple of points about the struggle, okay? Here's what we wrestle with, all right? This is common for believers. We wrestle with the goodness of God towards us. Now, it's normal in church for people to say, God is good. Okay. Let's get out of the public and let's have a coffee together and now tell me what you think. And sometimes what you, when people are honest, because the statement, God is good, that's expected to say that, especially in church, right? But if you're sitting down and you're reflecting upon the last year, and you're thinking about where things are at and how things are going and what the outlook is and what's facing you and everything, we wrestle with the goodness of God towards us. And I think we have to be honest with that. What do you mean to wrestle with the goodness of God? What I mean is we wrestle with whether or not God is showing favor to us, whether or not God is ministering to us in the midst of our need and he's being there for us. Yes, we have our faith that he's going to be with us, but sometimes we wrestle because even though we trust and we believe, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything's turning out better or good. And so let me just say, that wrestling is natural. It's a part of life for a believer. How do I know that? Just go to Psalms. Read any of the Psalms. 
Lord, where are you? My enemies are against me. They come for me. Where are you, God? Why have you abandoned me? Lord, will you break their teeth? That's interesting when you read the scripture and it's talking about God breaking the teeth of your enemy. That would be painful, right? So God inflict pain on them. That's how brutally honest the writers of the Psalms are. It, it, it is amazing. But what, what is it that's going on? They're, they're wrestling with the goodness of God. Here's, here's the second thing I want you to see with our struggle. Why do we wrestle like that? And here's what it is, okay? We've allowed the circumstances to become greater than our God. We've allowed the circumstances. We've allowed whatever it is that we're facing to become greater than the God of the universe that we put our trust in. We've allowed whatever has happened. Maybe it's, you know, I was just, I was going to say pink slip from work. My wife says they no longer do pink slips, George. Okay, whatever it is, however they tell you, you've been laid off now. We allow that to become greater than our God. We allow the, you know, the engine going out on our car. What are we going to do now because I can't afford to get another one? Or somebody smashed up my car and the insurance company hasn't given me enough to replace it. We allow the report from the doctor to become greater than our God. Or someone that we care for telling us something that we didn't want to hear. We, we listen to these things and, and we experience these things or we have these things kind of suffocate us and it becomes greater than our God and guess what we go back to what I said the first time we wrestle with the goodness of God and especially if you and I have this concept that somehow because we came to Jesus everything was supposed to be okay isn't that what we were told just come to Jesus and everything will be okay And it wasn't okay. And it isn't okay. And we're wrestling. Now, it's with that reality in your mind that I want you to look at the Christmas story. It's, it's with that reality in mind that I want you to think about what we're celebrating with Christmas because... Christmas is the fulfillment of some promises that God made to you and I who are living in darkness. Isn't that what the prophecy says in Isaiah? He says to a people living in darkness, there will be a light. That in the midst of our struggle with the way life is and what life is throwing at us and the struggles and the difficulty, there's a promise. So before I get to Luke, let me tell you about the promise. A couple things here I want you to see. Actually, three things. First of all, the Lord promised us from the beginning that Christ would come. So the Lord, from the beginning, gave us a promise. What do you mean from the beginning? All the way from the beginning in the garden. What do you mean the garden? All the way in the beginning when the first sin occurred. 
He gave us a promise. What? What promise was that? Well, he, he talked about that Satan would bruise the heel of her seed, but that seed would crush the head of Satan. And then when you get over into the next passage, Eve bears her first son, Cain, and she's saying, God has given me a man. She thought he would be the deliverer. So from the beginning, God promised a deliverer. Deliverer from what? Folks, deliverer from the pain of this world, the struggle, the hardship, the heartache, the thing you're going through. He promised it. He promised it to us so much so, if you go over to Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 to 21, he, he talks there the angel in announcing to Joseph about this baby that Mary was carrying. Look at what it says. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the promise. That's the promise. He promised that for us. Now, here's the interesting thing. God doesn't just make a promise. This is the amazing thing about God. So, you and I make promises all the time, right? Some of them we keep. A lot of them we don't. And we'll say, hey, I promise you I'm going to do this for you. And we keep saying that. I promise, I promise. And we never get around to doing it. But we promise, right? God, when he makes a promise, the amazing thing is he tells you how he's going to do it. Here's the second thing I want you to see about this, is that the Lord lays out his prom, how his promise will be fulfilled. The Lord lays out how his promise will be fulfilled. So if you go over to one of the minor prophets, Micah chapter 5, listen to what he says here. He's, he's been promising this deliverer, and everybody's waiting for this deliverer. So through the prophet Micah, God says, where this guy's going to show up? Where's the deliverer going to come from? He says, but you, Bethlehem, Epaphrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old and from everlasting. So God says, look, this guy's going to show up, and here's where he's going to. He's going to come from Bethlehem. Now, that's important. Why? Because when you get to the Gospels, that's an issue. Whenever they talk about Jesus and who he is, everybody thought he was from where? Galilee, Nazareth. And they were like, well, the guy is supposed to come from where? Bethlehem. That's why what we're going to look at here in a few moments, Luke chapter five, 2, verses 1 to 5 are so important. Because here's the thing, God tells us how it's going to happen. Now here's the problem, here's the third thing I want you to see. The difficulty with promises emerges when circumstances seem greater. What am I saying there? Here's what I'm saying. Okay, so we know 
Because on this end, we've seen the fulfillment of that through Jesus. So we know that God fulfills his promises. But yet God has also made lots of promises in the scripture for you and I right now, right? There are promises in the scripture right now for you and I right now. And we know that those promises are real, like, for instance, the promise of the resurrection, a promise of the reality that once we leave this world, we'll be entering into another life with him in a new body. That there is something beyond this life. We have all these promises. Why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. Now, the problem is, is though, the difficulty for us is, with the promises, is that we're living now. And the struggles are real right now. In fact, the circumstances that we're facing seem so much greater than the promise or any promise. And it's really real to us. So how do we hang on? You know what I'm saying? Because God does speak to us, does he not? Yes, he does. Because sometimes you will read the scripture yourself and you're in the midst of it and, and some passage that you read and, and, and tell me if this hasn't happened for you. It's happened for me and I've known others that it's happened for. You're, you're in the midst of something and you're reading God's word and you're like, God, I need you to speak to me. Give me a word, something to hold on to. And, and I, a verse just jumps out of the scripture to you. And you're like, thank you. Thank you for the strength to go on another day. And, and so you're like, oh, I've got that, yes. But then guess what? You go on with life. Maybe it's another hour later. Maybe it's a day later or a week later. And there it is, the big, ugly gorilla in the room, the circumstances of what you're facing or what has been imposed upon you. And it's like, what was that promise? What was that hope? This is real. And that's what it is. That's the difficulty with the promises. But here's what I want us to see. So now we're going to get to Luke chapter 2. And in the very first five verses of Luke, we're going to see the beginning of the story of Jesus being born. But here's what I want you to see. I want you and I to find some hope in these verses. Why? Because we're going to see the promise was made, a deliverer. We're even going to see the specifics given, Bethlehem. But the circumstances for it not to happen are greater. So look with me in your, in your Bibles. If you have them, look with me at what Luke writes. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. 
This census first took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, folks, we're going to focus on, for the rest of our time, on these five verses. Now, that just seems like historical information, doesn't it? How he ended up being able to go to Bethlehem, who was in charge, why they were there, who's along for the journey. But I'm going to tell you that something in this minute details is going to show you that ultimately God is in the details. That's what you and I need to grasp. Okay, so here you are. You have these promises. You have this hope in the God of the universe, in Jesus, and you're going through these circumstances. You do not know how things are working out and how they're going. But God is in the details. So let's talk about that. Here's the first thing I want you to see. First of all, first thing you and I need to grasp, circumstances do not dictate how God fulfills his promises. Circumstances don't dictate how God fulfills his promises. You need to grasp that. You need to understand that. Well, yeah, George, you don't know the mistakes I've made, or you don't know what's happening in my life, or what's happening right now, or you don't know what's coming down the pike, and, and it's a consequence of this, and you don't know any of all this other stuff, and I can't see how that's going to happen. It's just overwhelming. I have... And some of you will say that I have really messed it up or somebody else has really messed it up. How is that going to be possible? Because God is the one who's in charge of his plan for you. Not your circumstances, not even you. What do you mean? Well, let's, let's take a few verses of Scripture to help us to understand that. So that you understand God has a plan for your life, a purpose for your life, and that you cannot be overwhelmed by the things that you face. God uses the things that we face to mold us into who we are. But let's take them. Psalm 37. Psalm 37 says this, verse 23 and 24, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in them. I've shared that verse with you many times. Listen to it. God orders the steps of your life. He is directing you through the process of you becoming the person that he wants you to be. And listen, he delights in your life. He's excited about your life. You and I understand that. What do you mean, excited about my life? Doesn't he understand? I mean, right now, how can he be excited about? Listen, he's excited about your life. We understand that. 
I mean, I got four kids. You have, a lot of you have kids. You have grandkids. Listen to me. Has their lives been perfect? No. But do you still take delight in their lives? Yeah. Yeah. They bring excitement to you. you you're happy for them. They delight you when you see their lives. Yeah, I mean, do you grimace sometimes? Yeah. Oh, you know? But you still delight in them. Why? Because they're your children. You're his child. The next verse is very awesome because he says, Though they yet stumble, then I'll be utterly cast down for what the Lord upholds them with their hand. God doesn't allow the circumstances to dictate his promises. Here's, here's the other thing. What about his promises for you? Over in Ephesians chapter 2, let me just turn there real quick. Ephesians chapter 2, he's talking about you and I. He's talking about what happens when you and I come to salvation by faith. He, he makes this point again about God having some things in his mind for your life and what he wants to do for you. Look at what it says there. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Whoa, that verse right there, let's unpack that a little bit. We are his workmanship. That same word that's used there could be translated, are you ready for this? Masterpiece. You understand what a masterpiece is. Michelangelo's David. The Mona Lisa. Some of that modern stuff that they have in the cities that they call art. That's masterpieces, right? You're not like that. You're like David or Mona Lisa, right? But here's what he's saying. You are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus. He made you who you are in Christ in the faith that you have. What? To do the works that he has prepared for you before you. He has prepared for you life. Do you think that he's going to allow the circumstances of life To hinder the promises that he has for your life? Doesn't dictate how God will fulfill. If anything, God uses the circumstances to what? Bring about the fulfillment of the plans that he has for your life. And that's exactly what we see happening here in Luke chapter 2. Because here's the thing. When you come to Luke chapter 2, we understand from Micah, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Well, here's the problem. So here we are. You've got Mary who's conceived, and she's betrothed. That's a little bit different than our engagement. It's almost like between engagement and marriage, she's, she's supposed to be ready for whenever Joseph comes to get her. But now she's pregnant, and that's a scandalous thing. How'd she get pregnant before she's actually married? And so now... And so, Joseph's wrestling with, what do I do with that? That's where the passage from Matthew that we looked at where the angel of the Lord said, don't worry about taking her. But the problem is, is they're in Galilee. 
That would be like if somebody gave a promise about something happening here in Kerwinsville, but the people who are involved in the promise are living up in upstate New York. How do we get them there? How, how do we get there so that the promise is fulfilled? Look, that doesn't dictate to God how he feel, fulfills his promises. Because God is the one who's in charge, right? And he will bring about his fulfillment of his promises. So here, here's what happens. Here's the second point I want you to see. God uses the circumstances to accomplish his will. What do you mean? Well, guess what God does? So in Rome, so okay, they're in northern Israel in Galilee, across the Mediterranean, over in Italy, is Rome. And in Rome is a guy who just became the very first Caesar. He said, I thought Julius Caesar was a Caesar. No, that's why he was killed. You know your history? He was killed by senators because they didn't want him to become the leader. Well, what ended up with that was a war, a civil war that would took place, and the victor from that was the nephew of Julius Caesar, Caesar Augustus, the very first Caesar. So the very first verse tells you that when Caesar Augustus was ruler, he decided he needed some money. Isn't that what governments do? Especially after you've had a war effort and you've got a, a new administration to, over, to kind of take care of the empire, you need money. So guess what he decides to do? He decides that we need to tax the empire. Isn't that what we do? We need more things happening in the empire or the country or whatever. We need to raise some money. So how do you raise money? In the old way, you just taxed everybody. How do you do that? Well, here's what they do. They got really ingenious was making sure they got their fair share. So what do you do? Because how do you, they don't have electronic things to figure out where people are at. Well, you just force everybody go to go back to their home areas to register. How would you like to register for a tax? That's what they're doing. They're registering for a census. And from the census, they can do their budgets. Well, we got this many people in this area. We know we're going to get this much money, so we know what we're getting. But here's what that census is doing. It's forcing Joseph, who's of the house of David, to return back to his what? Home area, which is where? The city of David, from which he came. Actually, it's a little village, Bethlehem. Isn't that interesting? When you sit back and you ponder that for a moment, that God worked out the details to make sure that his promise would be fulfilled at the right time. He uses the circumstances to fulfill and accomplish his will. He gets them to go from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem because of some old dude sitting in Italy in Rome decides we need more money. If you were to go to Caesar Augustus and say, hey, did you know that you were bringing about the fulfillment of God's promises? What are you talking about? We need more silver and gold. 
See, God's the one who's in control of your circumstances. Here, listen to me. I want you to understand me. Right now, you're going through something. Right now, this is happening in your life. Right now, this is overwhelming you. And you're like, what about the promises of God? God, what do you, how are you going to want to use me? In my, I'm going to tell you right now, God is bigger than your circumstance. In fact, can I tell you something? He can use that circumstance to accomplish what he wants to do in your life. He can use it to bring about the fulfillment of what he wants. It's amazing. God changes circumstances when he thinks about the plans of life. So, okay, let me, let me just kind of... No, it's a long story. I won't go, go into it here. I'll tell you... We, got, we don't have time for that. You can tell I love to talk. Here's the final thing I want you to see. And you need to write this one down. God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. Because here's what you have. Now this is what's amazing. Because today when you, you know, when you're, when you're, carrying a child and you get close to the end of that time when you need to give birth they, 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 they'll tell you take it easy right don't get on an airplane don't fly on an airplane don't go on a trip stay close to home why because it might bring on birth but guess what they have to go so guess what they make that journey it'd be several days journey from northern Israel down to Bethlehem and they arrive just in time, don't they? For the child who would be the savior of the world, the deliverer, to be born in just the right place. His timing is perfect. So here you are, and you're holding on to some promise that you felt God gave you. And maybe time has gone on. And time does go on sometimes, right? And you're like, will it ever be fulfilled, God? Look, he's never too late. Never too early and he's never late. He's always right on time. How do you know that? Look at Abraham. Talk about a guy waiting. He waited 25 years for his promise to be fulfilled. What? To have that son, Isaac. Did he make the right decisions between then and getting that son? No. He made some really bad decisions. But guess what? God still what? Fulfilled that promise. So here's the reality. Okay, so here we are. The end of this week, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. We're going to be with our families. We're going to be enjoying food. Some of us are going to be enjoying lots of food. Some of us are going to wish we haven't been enjoying the food. Some of us are already planning to know what to do after this weekend to deal with the food that we enjoy. 
and we'll be distracted for the moment. But then Monday comes. And the struggle is there again. But what I want you to grasp is move beyond the celebration and grasp the reality of what God showed you through Christmas. That he is the fulfiller of promises. And that there is no circumstance that is greater than him. And that he brings redemption to everything for his purpose. And it's the purpose that he has for you. Something to think about. Let me pray for you.